we've been missing you. Do you want to find the witch friends you've been missing? Do you want to participate in these conversations live? And do you want to support the work of recovering a true history of feminist ideas about magic? Do you want to hang out? Do you want an invite to Zoom together with Amy and myself every new moon along with our hilarious, diverse, wise, queer, creative, anti-racist, science, and awe-loving coven? You must join the Missing Witches Patreon. It's pay what you can, and we can't wait to meet you there. Patreon.com slash Missing Witches. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Hello to the Missing Witches Coven. Today we're so excited to chat with poet, witch, Ecofeminist, we'll get into all of these terms and more. <laughs> Jem, thank you so much, Jem Rosenberg, for being here to talk about your new book of poetry, Sticks, Stones, and the process of being a witch poet. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. I love your podcast and your book, and it's just kind of a dream come true to be able to talk to you about my work. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for sending me this copy of Stick Stones. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you had filled it with like dried leaves and petals, and it was just like a, such a emotional tactile material experience to pull it out of the envelope and have it sort of flow over me so thank you um for those of our listeners who don't have the copy in my hand my paper copy in my hand can you start us off with a reading yes I would love to um I'm going to start on page 50 with a poem called oracle Rocks listen to the sea and call back slowly. Words stretch to abstraction. The wind blows in thin blankets unraveling to reveal holes of the witch's stone, babbling brook, turning on a cord, ebbing to between breasts, on my walks cadence, calling back the periwinkle's path, washed away with each breath breathing me, letters stretched thin, responding in lines, rows of sand impressions, echoes arching broadly, turning jaggedly, eternal trail, fading and being made new with each watery call. I am lines reaching, rock of holes hollowing, disintegrating into flecks of quartz that catch the sun. Sand runs, calls back slowly to the sea. I am 
eroding. It's so hard because I want to ask you general questions, but I also just want to kind of want to jump right into this word eroding. Um, we talked mm -hmm. about Terry Tempest Williams and this notion of er erosion, the, the tower uh, in the tarot, you know, being this like ultimate destruction, but also this opportunity for growth and change. What, what's your notion of erosion? Why are you eroding? How? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like within the context of this poem, anyhow, um, there's sort of a surrender to the process, which is maybe kind of ironic in a way because erosion can be this very destructive thing. Um, but it's sort of just surrendering to the water and the process and becoming a part of it and listening and there not being so much of a separation between our bodies and the earth's body. Yes. And the, the sort of paradox of definition that we find in all things where, you know, you can think of erosion as like a loss of material, you know, dirt. On, I live on a ravine. So the notion of erosion is like, when will my house fall into the ravine? But there's also, like you say, the, the smoothing, you know, erosion doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a loss, but maybe like a smoothing of roughness, like as in the water. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that with this poem and a lot of these poems, they they can be interpreted either way or interpreted different, differently depending upon how you're feeling when you read it that day. This is how art teaches us compassion, right? To me anyway, you know, that you can look at something and, and take an equally valuable meaning away from it that is the opposite of someone else's equally valuable meaning that they took. So you describe Sticks Stones to me as an eco-feminist memento mori. So I really need to like, let's do one, one piece at a time. If you can tell us like, because I know everyone always says like, well, I don't want to speak for all, insert whatever, you know, word here. So we know you're not speaking for all eco-feminists, but if you could give us like your personal definition of what that means. And then your personal definition of memento mori, and then your personal definition of what it means when we put those two terms together. Yeah, definitely. Um, so ecofeminism, uh, very simply, is a form of intersectionality that just focuses on the environment and anything relative to feminism. Um, for me personally, it goes back to that concept that we spoke about previously with erosion, about there not being a separation between our bodies and earth bodies and, um, or the earth body and that 
there's uh, a denigration of women and gender non-conforming people um, and also a denigration of the earth and a history of, um, I'll just speak for myself because I identify as a woman, um, that there's a history of women being seen as you know, dirty and less than, and just of the earth in a way that men are not. And it's kind of like, well, um, embracing our bodily processes as just like any other process, like erosion or the ocean ebbing and flowing or whatever that might be. And I think for me personally, um, identifying with the earth in this way, it's, it's supportive to me because I think sometimes as humans, we can often fail each other. And um, there's a way that our landscape can kind of hold us and support us and mirror us. So for me, that that's what ecofeminism is for me. And um, if you want me to jump right into the memento mori, um, so a, men, a memento mori is seen as kind of a reminder of our mortality. Um, and it's often associated with death. So I think that with the ecofeminism and everything that's happening to uh, the earth and, you know, just heard on the news that they made abortions uh, legal in Florida and um, that there's just kind of, Again, this sort of pre preoccupation with, with death, um, with thinking about our relationship to the planet right now, there's mass extinction. Uh, we're just losing so much so quickly. Um, and then there's uh, mental health is a huge theme in my, in my writing as well. And, uh, feeling just personally what, what comes up, um, when something so precious, this body that is, you know, our earth body, our, our body, um, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be able to exist without, without it, um, so there, there is an acknowledgement of grief and loss. And um, a lot of writing on the cemetery and a lot of uh, writing has come out of meditative walks in the cemetery. Um, so yes, that's the eco-feminist memento mori. And how does writing poetry help us slash you slash us resist these destructive forces? 
Well, I think that simply acknowledging it is the most basic uh, first step in resistance. And I feel like that is what poetry does. Why are you a poet? That's such a good question. These are great. Um, why am I a poet? I feel like it happened on accident. Um, I wrote, I always wrote a little bit. Um, and one day how this book came about, um, Emily Cobb, who is my publisher from Free Witch Press. And we'll get out. into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. We'll get into it. Well, one day she just put out a call for poetry and I thought, oh, I have a few poems. Um, it would be nice for them to have a life beyond just sitting in a journal. So I submitted and she got back to me and she said to me, um, do you have any more poems so we can write your book? And I was like, what? What did I just do? What did I just sign up for? And, you know, immediately there was like this rush of doubt. Well, I'm not really a writer. I'm, I didn't identify as a poet before I wrote this book. Um, and I just rose to the occasion. <laughs> I just kind of told myself there's no way I could pass up this opportunity. Um, and I just went for it and wrote this book for like a year. And um, there were other contributing factors. Um, Spiritually, I grew up Jewish and still identify in that way and am reclaiming, trying to reclaim Jewish magic and mysticism and some of the more fun witchy sides of Judaism that I didn't learn about growing up. Um, but before I got into that, I made my way back into spirituality via spiritualism and started going to message circles. And um, right before this book happened, I got a message that I was a poet in a past life. And I always had, a, 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 ever since I got that message, I had this vision of her, um, who is me, <laughs> which is, interesting um you know just sitting in like victorian garb like totally covered in like black cloaks hunched over like an old secretary desk like the one behind me and i and i never see her face but i just see her writing um so once i got that message it opened up this like this portal or something where all of a sudden these words started pouring into me um almost like lightning strike or something um and that's how i became a poet <laughs>
<laughs> so for all of our listeners who have their, you know, Emily Dickinson filled journals of secret poems in their secret journal caverns. Um, and short of, you know, someone just saying like, send us more poems so that we can make your book. How do you think that the people listening to this can conjure that vision of their future selves or their past selves as identified poet? Um, the, so the question is, how can we conjure our, our future and past selves? Or just that the, the quote unquote message that you are, you were, you will be a poet. How do we conjure that message for ourselves? Oh, oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. I, I mean, in a way, I'm not sure because I really felt like this medium, like he kind of lit that match for me and through his gifts was able to kind of open me to my gifts. And I think that's the, the great gift of mediumship. Um, so I do think that having a relationship with a medium can be a way to learn more about your past self and open yourself up to the present and what your future may be. Um, I do think that ultimately we don't necessarily need that and that we have it within ourselves all along. And that's what he told me. He told me he didn't do anything and that it was inside of me the whole time. And I think I'm still wrapping my head around how that was in me and I didn't know. Um, and, you know, how can I be more aware of what's, of who I've been and what's inside me and what my potential is? And I think a good starting place is really just trusting your intuition. Um, no matter how quiet that little voice inside you might be, if it's saying, a word or a phrase or you're coming across the same thing over and over again like a synchronicity um to really trust that and do what it says yeah period yeah. period yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it relates to our, our you know, um, notions about ecofeminism and the, the, the degradation of the idea of intuition, en plus, you know, bodies are degraded, but also, or degraded, excuse me, but uh, also our inherent knowledge that doesn't fit into the capitalist patriarchal model of what knowledge is. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. If you can't access a medium, if you don't have a medium in your circle of friends, then you can start by just really listening to your own voice, giving voice yeah. to your own voice. Yeah, and I do have a recent example of 
where that came together for me just within my inside myself I felt really I've been making all this jewelry with like shells and minerals and um I felt really called to make a mirror with shells there's actually one hanging just behind me here you can see um and I started making all these mirrors with clay and shells and, and painting them and then uh, a friend reached out to me and told me that they were like a portal and started talking to me about mirror magic. And I had no idea what mirror magic was or that it was even a thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, everywhere on Instagram, threads, feeds, mirror magic, mirror magic showing up. So all of a sudden there was this class talking about it. And I was like, well, I'm gonna sign up and take it. And that's kind of a perfect example, I think of just trusting your intuition. You're doing something, maybe you don't really know why you're doing it. You just feel called. And then the answer becomes clear as you go along. Yeah, one of my favorite examples is this is the, the painter Mayumi Oda. And she was painting these sort of large, beautiful goddess figures. And she didn't really know why. She just sort of felt compelled to paint these goddess figures. And then, and then afterwards, she started learning about Maria Gimbutas and these similar shapes, you know, the work of, um, of uh, Monica Show and Barbara Moore. And these, she was, she had been painting these things that like archaeologists and researchers were finding at the time without knowing that they, and I, I really think there is something to this, this notion of zeitgeist, you know, wow. and sometimes we, we listen, if we go forth and listen to these like little downloads that we get, then we can be exposing ourselves to any number of amazing things because we didn't notice them before. But then when you start noticing, noticing is like the same thing that you're talking about with poetry. It's noticing is acknowledging and acknowledging is resistance and resistance is enchantment. So really it's like the smallest. I spoke to uh, a, another writer, um, Il Ilva Radishevsky, who told me that her process of writing her book was like healing on a deadline. Do you relate to that at all? Or did you sort of have like a more nebulous time frame to work on your poetry book? It was kind of an open time frame, which felt very freeing, but there wasn't any stagnation with the process. And I think that's what felt so wholesome about this, like just writing it is that I was always working on something for it. Um, and we sort of had like a loose deadline of when we wanted to release it. And we mostly kept to that and and it felt felt good like this birth moment although it's been in COVID so I'm glad that um I found some other ways to connect with people about the book and share it um since I haven't been able to do live readings as much as I would like to just yet um but yeah Ah. So uh, tell us about this process, then let's get into Free Witch Press. I know a lot of our listeners are going to be just like drooling even over just the name. 
And even like the ethos behind it is even more exciting than possibly than the name. Um, I know it's being run by two people who were not the founders. So it is like a growing and evolving house. Can you tell us about Free Witch Press? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about it. It's a very um, kind of DIY independent uh, women run press. It's based in Dedham, Massachusetts. Um, so I'm originally from Eastern Mass and that's where I met Emily who, um, as far as I know, has always had a role with the press. Um, but I know um, the, her partner that she's working on it with, with now, um, that's kind of a newer thing. And um, yeah, it's, authors um previously before my book as far as I know everything was published in a very handmade kind of way um you know hand stapling it together almost like zine style um and and we talked about actually making uh the book in that fashion but it the project just ended up being so huge that by the end of it when we had to make a decision, um, uh, we were very much like, we just want to reach out to someone and have them like really print it and just have that new, <laughs> I'm touching the book for those of you who can't see what I'm doing. Just, yes, it feels really good. It's a nice object. And uh, that was a bit of a departure from what the press normally does, but it's very, it's very in the spirit of like, I, I personally feel like uh, DIY, but very like just fine art, fine craft at the same time. A lot of precision and care and thought is put into the work that the press produces. Do you ritualize your writing practice at all? Um. I feel like I struggle with ritual in general because my personality is kind of for better or for worse. It's kind of like I like to do things when I feel like it or just when the inspiration strikes and um, not forcing it on any kind of timeline or moon cycle or anything like that. Um, so I, I just sort of, um, I, I don't know, I think of ritual as this formal thing, but maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't feel like I write on a formal ritualized timeline. It, it's just sort of random, kind of. <laughs> Maybe not random within the context of the universe, because it's happening exactly when it <laughs> needs to be happening. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, I think that writing in general, and maybe more specifically, but maybe not writing poetry, is akin to witchcraft. You're nodding, so you agree with that statement. Good. Can you tell me how and why you agree with that statement, how it is, why it is? 
Well, I think it's the only thing that makes me feel like I am a witch because I would kind of consider myself to be sort of like um, a baby witch. And I felt very uh, self-conscious about using that word or identifying in that way because I just, you know, I didn't, I, I, I had this idea of like, oh, I need to have studied all this and read all these books and just, you know, have been practicing for a really long time or something, you know? Um, and I was like, well, if I were to consider myself a witch, like in which way am I a witch? And um, there's so many ways to, to be a witch. And I feel like for me, it's really my art and my writing and that that is where the most magic shows up in my life. And even though I have doubts about it sometimes, I also know that what's happening is totally magical and undeniable. <laughs> what does the word magical mean to you? I think that for me, it's any experience that is outside the realm of what is ordinarily perceived as reality. So it is relative, um, but within the context of the society that we live in, um, or perhaps more specifically to my experience, the culture that I feel like I'm a part of, I feel like people don't believe in this kind of stuff, <laughs> so uh, that it's real. Um, so to me, that is what makes it magic is that it's outside the realm of what people perceive to be real, which is a pretty broad definition. And I can go into like specifics of how I experience magic. Like, um, yeah, so uh, I think that we're all mediums, um, like psychic. I think we're all psychic too. Um, and that it's just a matter of tapping into that in my journey with spiritual spirituality. I, I was atheist for a while. I didn't really believe in, uh, life after death or anything beyond this material world. Um, but I was never necessarily against the idea of possibility and I met, just some very trustworthy people that had these otherworldly experiences and I trusted them. And as soon as I opened myself up to what was possible, things started happening that I had never experienced before. Um, like uh, one time I was in the spiritualist church and I saw 
blue light, like blue lightning <laughs> inside of a building. And the lights flickered and I looked around to see if anybody else saw that. And there were people making eye contact with me like, whoa. Um, and we talked about it afterwards and, and what that was. Or um, one time I was visiting my grandmother and um, it was going to be her birthday and I wanted to get her flowers. I wasn't sure which kind of flowers to get her. Um, and I was in her house. I came home to her house one day and I walked in the door and I just started smelling lilies. Like, you know, that like saccharine sweet lily smell, like very strongly. I started smelling lilies to the point where I was kind of looking around like, where, where are the lilies? They're not in season right now. Um, and then I, I was like, oh, okay, you know, thanks for the message, you know? So when I, when I first started experiencing these things, I couldn't tell the difference between these two different realities, you know? Like, that's how real it felt. Um, and I have a lot of experiences and the most experiences like that with my art and with my poetry. You said something that I I just really want to dig my claws into this because, you know, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but I've definitely lost relationships because people couldn't stop demeaning what I was doing, you know? And you said um, that you weren't, quote, against the idea of possibility. And that I'm sort of like framing this in my mind as like, all these people who are demeaning me, us, which is in general, other forms of knowledge, you know, non-colonial ways of thinking, all of this, are they against the idea of possibility? And I think the answer is yes. And that blows my freaking mind. Imagine, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone, certainly no one who's here in this circle today or anyone who's listening to this podcast is against the idea of possibility certainly in this group but it's something that I'm going to take with me when I meet someone who's I'm skeptical you know I I'm an old-time punk and I don't you know but sometimes you meet people who are scornful about it you know mm. like I'm like I don't know that sets off my bullshit detector but some people are like no that's wrong and you're stupid you know, and maybe we've all yeah. experienced that in one form mm -hmm. or another. And now I'm going to ask them, like, why are you against the idea of possibility? How could that conceivably make your life better? Being against the idea of possibility. I really want to thank you for that. I'm circling it in my notes. Against mm -hmm. the idea of possibility. Can you imagine what a sad fucking life that must be? Eh? Oh, I'm against that. <laughs> yeah and and you know what I don't have anything against somebody being atheist I mean it makes total sense to me if that's all you've ever experienced or known then of course you're going to be partial to that um it just so happens that in my experience I had a total shift in in my experience of what was possible to perceive 
Um, and yeah, I, I try to, I try to associate with people that are at least open-minded about it because it's such a big part of who I am in my life and how I experience the world. It feels kind of sad. Like you have to hide a little bit when someone is so closed off to the possibility. <laughs> uh, you know, we're not saying like closed off to the definitely. I would never say definitely anything, you know? Yeah. Do you, maybe I'm too old, but do any of you remember that game, A Question of Scruples? And it was like cards and the cards would have like a sort of moral dilemma and you would always, you would have to answer yes, no, or depends. And the other people in the game would sort of guess what you were going to say. And I was terrible at the game because literally every time I picked depends, literally every time, you know, you can't play scruples with Amy because it, it, de- it always depends, but let's not be against the idea of possibility. Yeah. I love that. I'm so filled with that. I'm going to ask you to do another reading so I can just sit in this moment. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to do some bibliomancy and just see where we end up. Okay. If you happen to have the book, we are on page 24. The world above the blue. I am yours. I am scales of rusted rainbows and iridescent hues. I am scar tissue. Will you take me or leave me be? For at any given time, my body will not be mine. I have no chance to fight you. I surrender to the world above the blue. Your safety net is of no comfort when cold metallic sharps my lip, full body pressure pull, migraine through the hole, a propeller, pedal thrusted to the parting surface where white shards cut gleams of greenish gold. I meet callousness, a face flat and dry, a colossal form too heavy to swim, accompanied by a curious boat casting shadow over shallows, its eyes that scrutinize Flashed like shoreline stones, I writhe. Compression, flailing, withered gasp. I am life, can't you see? My rosy insides glow through filmy walls. I squirm like sea worm, and then you let me go. So about two years ago, Risa and I put out a call for listeners and witches to do voice recordings of their own witch poems and email them to us. 
And I'm going to do that again right now, listeners. If you have a witch poem, just pull out your phone, use your voice memo app, record it, email it to us at missingwitches at gmail.com. And now, Jem, I want to ask you, because you sent us a poem two years ago, and we put it on the podcast, and now you are an official poet, having published your first volume of poetry. So to those witches, those witch poets who are sitting, listening to me, ask them to send me their poetry and thinking to themselves, I am not a poet. What do you say unto them? I would say that if you're thinking I'm not a poet, then you are one. (laughs) Um, And that if you're thinking that there's the desire to fully be who you are and fully manifest within side you. Um, and I would say, give yourself the chance, give yourself the opportunity uh, before you tell yourself that you're not. Um, you know, in my case, magically an opportunity arise to prove to myself what I was capable of. And I trust that something like that can happen for you too. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Do any of our circle have questions or comments? for Jem. No, we're just getting warm smiles and hugs. So I will say one more time, listeners, be like Jem, be brave, send us your poems. And maybe, just maybe, a couple years later, Free Witch Press (laughs) will come to you and say, all right, it's time to put your book together. And then you will, you know, just like, let's not be against the idea of possibility especially where poetry is concerned, especially where poetry is concerned. So Jem, tell us where we can get your book. Tell us the name of it again. Tell us everything that you want our listeners to know. Okay, great. Um, Also, I just wanted to say that I personally really want to hear your poetry. So please submit it. to Missing Witches, and I will listen for it. Um, So the name of my book is Sticks, Stones. The cover is hand collaged by me. Um, That's important because I'm also a visual artist, and half the poems in this book were made in a very visual way by cutting out books and magazines and piecing them back together. And the other half was made uh, in the, what did I call it? The lightning bolt way where it just kind of enters me uh, and comes out uh, from who knows where. And uh, you can get the book on Free Witch Press, uh, their website. I believe it's just freewitchpress.com. Um, the, and the link will be in the show notes for those of you listening for sure. Awesome. And then uh, I have a website if you want to see uh, more of my visual art. 
that coincides with my poetry. Uh, it's just my name, Gem. It's spelled G-E-M, like gemstone, Rosenberg, at um, .com. And then um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, you can see all of my jewelry that I make, the candles that I make, um, my collages, uh, all of my visual practice. Um, it's Gemica, G-E-M-I-C-A dot Rosenberg. Uh, that's my handle on Instagram. And I would love for you to reach out to me and connect with me if you want to talk about your writing or need any support in your process i would love to talk to you about it and see your art um so yes please reach out to me and i would love to hear from you Thank that's you. a really beautiful offer i hope that someone listening is going to take you up on that because it really is a very beautiful offer if you're looking for someone, again, outside yourself, but not necessarily a spirit that can be accessed by medium, you can reach out to Jem. And, and this can function in the same manner, for sure. Thank you again so much. And again, are you a witch poet? Set, email us a recording of you reading one of your poems to missingwitches at gmail.com. Use the subject line, witch poem, and you'll probably hear it in an upcoming episode. And I know Jem wants to hear your poems. And I think a lot of us do. <laughs> thank you again so much, Jem, and those of you in our circle today who joined us today. Thank you so much for bearing witness to this. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye, listeners. Coven, we love you. Blessed fucking be. You must be a witch. The Missing Witches podcast is brought to you by the Missing Witches Coven. Join us right now on patreon.com slash missing witches. Blast of fucking bee.